Jacob, we're looking at the life of Jacob still, and Jacob was a, a schemer. He was a manipulator in, in ways. This, this was in some ways prophesied at his birth. There was a good prophecy at his birth that he would eventually lead. He'd be the heir. He'd be the, the leader within the family, the heir of the promise of God. But, but also at his birth, he was given the name he was given the name of Jacob, which meant supplanter or one who uh, grasps hold of to move beyond. In our modern day and age, we might refer to him as a schemer, as someone always scheming to get ahead. And, and he lived up in many ways to his name, seeking to, to advance himself. The, the, the ways in which he did this, though, were oftentimes uh, contrary to the characteristics and the evidence of God. He, of course, uh, took advantage in some ways of his brother's ignorance and his brother's secularism to gain the power of the birthright. He deceived his father. He lied to his father in order to gain the blessing. He struggled. When he did that, the Bible tells us that Esau began to hate Jacob because of the blessing which his father had blessed him with. And Esau said to himself, the days of my father's mourning will soon be over, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. And so Jacob had to flee. His, his scheming led to his exile. And he fled to a new land, and, and in this new land he had, to, he had to work, and he had to struggle, and he had to scheme in some ways to get his wife Rachel. But there was another schemer in that family, and that was Laban. And Laban looked to do what, what, what Jacob had done, and he deceived Jacob, and, and instead of having Rachel, uh, Jacob ended up first marrying uh, Leah, which Pastor Andreas spoke of last week. His father-in-law also tried to cheat him and, and to scheme him and to manipulate him out of having inheritance or out of having uh, a blessing in which he could move beyond that land but he'd ran into a professional schemer himself and Jacob flipped the script and ended up receiving an abundance of wealth. The scheming, though, was modeled by Jacob and it carried over into his family when we see it between the wives. The wives are trying to manipulate the situation between the husband. We see it within the children over the history of this family's time. We see it with Rachel right after Jacob flees from Laban's territory and from that area. We see it with Rachel in which she's stolen some idols and, and now those idols are buried in her tent and hidden in her tent. And she lies to her husband and she lies to her father saying they are not there. She deceives both of them and, and Jacob unknowingly goes along with the scheme. And they get away with it. Jacob's life is a cautionary tale. But in my mind, it's not so much a cautionary tale because of all the things that I just shared. It's not a cautionary tale because of the character flaws that we see within Jacob. Uh, all of us have character flaws. Jacob's is on display for us, but if we took a moment to pause, we could probably all see in our own lives an area in which we maybe are a bit uh, askance of who God desires us to be as well. 
It's not in the obvious that I see Jacob's story as a cautionary tale. In fact, the Bible definitely shows evidence of the fact that, that Jacob loves God. Jacob desires the birthright, and Jacob desires the blessing of God, not just for himself and for his own power, but, but he longs for the spiritual aspects of that, which we've talked about in the past. Jacob has that moment with God when he lies down on the rock, and, and he recognizes that God has been in that place, and God gives him a vision, and, and Jacob understands that he's been called by God for something special. He's the heir of the promise. He receives the birthright and, and the blessing and the right to lead his family, and he became a lar- he, it became a large and wealthy family. His, in many ways, is a success story. In fact, from the time that he left his home until the time he's returning to his home is over 20 years, and there's been a, a multitude of evidences of God's blessing and of God's favor. Ellen White even says that when when Jacob was sleeping on that rock, this was God communicating to Jacob that that his sins had been forgiven and that that God would be with him. In fact, the Bible tells us that, that God said, wherever you go, I will be with you. His, in many ways, beyond his character flaws that we all have, is a success story. And to me, that is the cautionary tale. Because even though he is called by God and he is an heir to the promise of God and he has, has had had visions from God, still after 20 years of all of this blessing, he is yet to be fully surrendered to God. I would doubt that, that there could be a more dangerous place to be in some ways, in some aspects, than believing that we are surrendered when we are really not actually to that point. What is the, that famous identifying text of the Seventh-day Adventist Church found in Revelation chapter 3? And if you want to turn there to Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. This is a message to the church in Laodicea. And, and it is who we as a church have identified ourselves with, and I hope we always identify ourselves with this message in a very humble way. I am somewhat amused when people say, we are the last day church. We are the church of Laodicea. I wonder if they've read the church of Laodicea because it's not a very uh, uh, pretty picture. And, and the Bible tells us that, that the angel is writing to the church of Laodicea, and it says, the words of the amen, verse 14, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works, so this is a church that's working, they're, they're not just sitting on their hands, they're doing some things for God, I know your works, but you are neither cold nor hot, but you are lukewarm, would you be either cold or hot? But because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, the Bible says, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich and have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now the thing to remember is that this text is being written to good people. This is a text being written to, 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 a, to a positive church in many ways, a church that would be perceived as as being strong and being 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 strengthened they look at themselves and they say you know what we're good we're blessed we're doing the works of God we're a good church these are people who can look at their own lives and say yeah we've had some ups and some downs but overall we're pretty good all in all we're pretty good and yet 
the scriptures paint a picture for us of a church that really isn't actually fully surrendered. In my 20 years of, of 21 years now of being a follower of Jesus, I'd, I've had more moments of self-deception than I ever did in the years before I knew Christ. When I, w- when I was distant from God, when I was absent from God and God was absent from my life, I knew who I was and I knew what I was about and I didn't try to be anything else. I was this, this is what I believed in and this is what I cared about and I wanted nothing to do with God. I was fully unsurrendered and I had no problem acknowledging that. It's, it's the Christian sometimes, it's in that Christian journey that I've had a greater challenge at moments in thinking that I'm fully surrendered and then having God reveal to me that it's not the reality. Sometimes within the Christian walk is when there are the greatest moments of self-deception that occur. It is easier, it is far easier when we are in the overall experience of what is called the the Christian life. We're living by the Christian worldview. Things are going well or at least okay. It is easier within that scope of things, I believe, to fail to see that there is somewhere still within our lives a lack of surrender. Jacob, for 20 years, 20 years he's been journeying, and since that moment at the rock, over and over again, there's been evidences of God's blessing, that God's been leading, and now God is directing him to, back to his homeland, and he is confronted with the reality, and we see the evidence that Jacob still, even after these 20-some years, is not yet fully surrendered to God. He's not surrendered to God. Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse three. Jacob is about to to come into the land and he realizes that, that his brother will be there and this begins to stir upon his mind. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I had sent them, I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, verse six, saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Verse seven then tells us, and Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Why was he greatly afraid and distressed? Well, for one, he knew that his brother had a right to be angry. That which Jacob had gained, although it was meant for him, he had done it in the wrong manner. There is the reality that we can do things for God and we can do them in the wrong way. And Jacob had done that. Jacob knew that which was supposed to be his was his for the wrong reason. It was his because he had manipulated his father. He had manipulated his, his brother. He had been deceitful and sinned. And here in this moment, though he had had a dream 20 years before in which God assured him that he was forgiven, Ellen White tells us that, that Jacob now in this moment was still overwhelmed with the guilt of his sin. In other words, there was a part of him that did not yet believe that he was truly forgiven by God. God said to him, 
in Genesis chapter 28 and verse 15. Behold, wherever you go, I will be with you. Behold, I will bring you back to this land and I will cause you to do good and great things will you do in this land. Now Jacob has been called by God and he's back in this land and yet there's a part of him that says, God, I don't really know if it's safe for me. In this moment of fear, he tries to figure things out on his own and so he sends a message ahead. The Bible then tells us he also came up with a plan. He, he, he schemed. He said, here's a plan I can come up with in order to protect myself somehow. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. The camp that is left will escape. He's still scared. He's still scared, and so after that moment, uh, we've had these moments, right, where there's something going on in our life, and, and, and we think, okay, I've got to use my brain. I've got to figure this out, and so we, we try to work the situation out on our own, and we realize that, that our own plan really isn't bringing us comfort, so then we say, well, maybe I should pray about this, and so then we begin to pray about it, and Jacob prays. He said, oh, God of my father Abraham, this is verse 9 of chapter 32, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, he's reminding God, remember God, you're the one who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two camps. So, so Jacob recognizes that, that God has blessed him that over these 20 years, he can see clearly God's hand over the course of his life. Please deliver me, verse 11, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, and here he is to remind God again, but you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for the multitude. I love this prayer because it is a familiar prayer to me. It is an honest prayer. God, you are the one who told me to come and do this. Sometimes when we're having those moments of fear, we're, we want to remind God, God, this is, this is really on you because you're the one who told me to do this. I wonder if he's reminding himself or he's reminding God. Do you ever pray those prayers where sometimes the prayers are almost more of a reminder for yourself? God, I know you have the resources to provide for me. God, I know that you'll take care of this situation. God, I know that you, you're big enough for all of this. And God knows all that too. Is a prayer for God or for us reminding ourselves in, in that moment. And Jacob is doing some of that. He's in a way reminding himself. But then Jacob does what we so often do, which again shows this evidence that, that there's still not full surrender there. Before God can even give an answer, before God can even give a solution to the problem, Jacob gets up off his knees and says, I'm gonna figure this thing out on my own. I'm gonna figure this out on my own. The Bible says, so he stayed there that night and he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milking cows and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. My grandparents who are, who are uh, from uh, the Central Valley, this probably excites them. It doesn't excite the rest of us. We'd like money, but you know, all this agriculture and people and, and animals is uh, right up their alley. But these he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me. And when you come and, and put space between each group and each drove, and he instructed the first, when you come to my brother Esau and he meets you, 
And he asks you, to whom do you belong and where are you going and whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau and moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and third and then the Bible says, and all who followed the droves. In other words, he wasn't just relying on one set of gifts or two set of gifts or three set of gifts to appease his brother. He had even more beyond that, gifts to appease his brother. He said, he thought in his mind, I may appease him with the present. God, please take care of me. I trust you. There's evidence of your hand guiding me and protecting me over these last 20 years. God, I thank you for this promise that you are gonna be with me, that you will never leave me nor forsake me. God, I promise that you, I thank you for the promise that wherever I go, you will be with me. Now I get up off my knees and I hope I can figure out how to appease my brother so I can take care of myself. Maybe I will appease him with the present that goes ahead of me and afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. All this time has gone by. Maybe the most dangerous place to be is a season, a long season of blessing in which we've been walking with the Lord and yet there is an aspect in which we are still not yet fully surrendered. Ellen White says this about this story and this moment in time. She said, Jacob yet felt that he had something to do to secure his own safety. He yet felt he had something that he had to do himself to secure his own safety. Jacob, for all that he had gained in his life, for all the time that had gone by, even the fact that that right before he takes this last step before meeting his brother, the Bible tells us in chapter 32, verses one and two, that two angels appeared to to, uh, Jacob as evidence that God was with him, that God was going before him, all of these evidences, and yet the Bible, the Bible shows us that there was still this lack of trust. And Ellen White says he still felt that he had something to do to secure his own safety. I would ask us, how many of us are on that journey in which there's so many blessings and yet we come to a place and we think, it's still my responsibility in some way to figure out my salvation. It's still my responsibility in some way to provide for my safety. I pray to God, I trust God, I see God's hands of blessing, and yet I still think there's something I need to do. There's this evidence of a lack of total surrender. He's been serving God. He's been giving God the credit and God the praise. He's been in communication with God. He's had visions from God and instruction from God. And yet, there's still something not surrendered in which makes him think, I've got to take care of myself. The aha moment for us should be to possibly consider that based on Revelation chapter three, verses 14 and through 17, this might be the reality for more of us than we'd like to imagine, for more of us than we'd like to think. It doesn't mean that God has not been with us. It does not mean that God was not with Jacob. It doesn't mean that God does not value what we've been doing in our lives. It doesn't mean that God does not 
has not been blessing us. It doesn't even mean that God, we've not been in a saving relationship with God. It could just mean that, that there's still another level, another level of surrender that God wants each one of us to take in our life. God wants us to be fully surrendered, out of the lukewarm, out of the, the good enough Christian, into the passionate, fully surrendered, nothing else between me and my Savior kind of experience. The Apostle Paul speaks of it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, and I like that the, the King James refers to it as, as the love of God. Paul reached this point where the love of God, the love of Christ constraineth us, he said. The love of God constraineth us. A lot of versions will say the love of God compels us, but, but I like the idea of, of the love of God constraining us, that, that idea that we struggle against that love and we may fight against that love and there's something in us that thinks we have to work for that love and we have to push for that love and, and yet at some point we just are so constrained by that love that we realize, man, I just might as well give up and let God's love be in control. My dad's been here all week and, and I'm a nostalgic person. You guys all know I tell my stories all the time. And, and, and so I've been thinking about wrestling as I've been thinking about this text and I've been thinking about my boys and my boys uh, love to play with my dad. And, and, and of course, growing up, my dad and I would wrestle as, as fathers and sons do. And he's bigger than me, but I'm meaner. Um, so we'd scrap it out some and have our, have our moments, but, but the, the conclusion of the, the, of the tussling usually consisted of that moment in which my dad was able to get me, my arms and my body and everything, and get me and scissored a scissor hole between his legs. Have you dads ever done that? All the time, Paul said. And you're fighting, you're struggling, but you're just not getting out. You're constrained, and it, you struggle, you, and finally just, I can't do anything else. I'm done. That's it. And you let it be. Surrender to the moment. And I kind of think of, of, of what Paul is saying, that, that the love of, of God constraineth him. That, that, I mean, we know about the story to Damascus, but we've got to think that, I, at least in my heart, I believe that God was working on Paul's heart over a journey, over a season of time. And, and finally, that love of God just got to the place, that love of Christ just constraineth him until he said, I, I just surrender. My life is fully his. There's nothing else for me but this love. This love constraineth me. And Jacob, it seems, has not yet come to that moment in his life. He has not reached that point. He was a believer, he was saved, he was blessed, but, but he had yet to come to that constrained moment when, till that, till that, to that constrained moment when he no longer felt that he had to do something to figure out his safety. Till that crisis the night before he met Esau. Let's read the scripture, Genesis 32, 24 through 31. And Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was out of joint and he wrestled with him. Then he said, this is the man said to Jacob, 
Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Jacob, his name was a symbol of of his past, of his deceit, of his supplanting of power. And and God's given him a new name to assure him. And, And God realizes now that he has surrendered and accepts the assurance of his forgiveness. And there he blessed him. And then the Bible says, so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. We should not think in this story that that somehow Jacob was more powerful than, than God. God was allowing this struggle to take place. He was allowing, I believe, Jacob to prevail. He was allowing him to to get to that place where where he realized fully what was happening and said, oh my, I can't do anything else. I must surrender. We should recognize this in as much as the fact that, that the moment the man wants to begin to get away with a single touch, he puts... Jacob's hip out of joint. You know, there's those old kung fu movies where they do some of that stuff where they touch a person and they're like, uh. I think some Star Wars thing as well. It's all imaginary there, but the God of the universe really touched his hip, put it out of joint. But even though Jacob is in pain, even though he's 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 exhausted from that night of struggle, he now realizes that it's not the gifts that are gonna keep him safe. It's not the dividing of the camp that's gonna keep him safe. He finally realizes that it is the blessing of God, that it is the control and the power of God. Ellen White indicates that it is at this point that he accepts that he is forgiven. 20 years walking with God, God blessing him. I'll be with you. I'll go wherever you go. Looking like the good and prosperous life of a believer. And yet something inside of him said, I still have to work this out on my own. I'm not quite safe yet. And God had to get him to that place where he understood that God's grace was enough And God's blessing was enough. And at that moment, at that moment, Jacob's life was changed. It was changed. Oswald Chambers seems to imply this is the end of of God's permissive will in Jacob's life. All the journey, there's been an aspect of God's permissive will allowing Jacob to go through this journey to, to discover, to become to that place where he's fully surrendered. Some of us may be going on that journey of permissive will thinking that we're fully walking in God's perfect will and yet God is just getting us, allowing us to go through that journey till we get to that place in which we step out of his permissive will and into his perfect will. That, that moment when we say, I realize I can't do anything and we surrender it all. All night Jacob wrestled. All night he wrestled. 
until his cry of surrender was, I will not let you go until you bless me. Ellen White wrote this, Jacob had fastened his trembling hand upon the promises of God. He had received the blessings for which his soul had longed. His sin as a supplanter and deceiver had been pardoned. The crisis in his life was past. Doubt, perplexity, and remorse had embittered his existence. But now all was changed and sweet was the peace of reconciliation with God. Sweet was the peace of reconciliation with God. I love this picture because of this. Brothers and sisters, God doesn't want to break us for the sake of just breaking us. God doesn't want to break us just so he can say, well, now you're surrendered and now I can actually be in charge. God's desire to break us is because sweet is the peace of reconciliation with God. The only peace that there is. Reconciliation with God at the hands of full surrender. So may I ask us this Sabbath day, myself, you, may I ask us this Sabbath day, and will you take this question home in your hearts and pray on it? Is our surrender full? Have we surrendered? Have we allowed ourselves to experience that sweet reconciliation of peace? Let us pray. Jesus, I pray in this moment for anyone who's in this room even now, maybe they're going through something like Jacob, a struggle, a wrestle, a fight with something. Maybe there's something new in their life and they don't know how to handle it and they're facing a crisis. Lord, maybe this is that moment in which you're wanting them to just realize that it's time to surrender. It's time to let it go. It's time to enjoy the peace that passes all understanding. Lord, give me that experience. Give my brothers and sisters in this room that experience. If any of them are going through this, Lord, and right now, even now, you're convicting their hearts. Help them to know that even this moment, they can experience the joy and the peace of you. They can be made new. We can all be made new in you. Our experience maybe have been great for 20 years, but we realize there's just something left to surrender. Lord, may we lay it at your feet now and find for perfect peace in your perfect will. In your name I pray, amen.